Hi, I'm the Contract Tutor, and welcome back to Basic Contract Law for Students. In this episode, we're discussing excusing performance. Now, there's three doctrines under this that are extremely important, and that's what we're discussing today. There's frustration of purpose, impracticability of performance, and impossibility of performance. So this means that there was a valid contract, but due to unforeseeable events, we can no longer perform it. Now, in my class, these were heavily tested areas. So let's begin with frustration of purpose. Frustration of purpose is a supervening event. So supervening means unforeseeable. It's a supervening event that frustrates the purpose of the contract and may discharge a party's duty to perform. We could still perform the contract. There's just no point to it anymore. So there are some elements here. First, both parties have to know the purpose of the contract at the time of contracting. Second, a supervening act or event happens that was unforeseeable at the time of contracting. Third, it's material. So it completely or almost completely destroys the purpose of the contract. And fourth, the party pleading frustration of purpose did not assume the risk or loss. So for example, and this is adapted from a case in my casebook. Kevin rents out Scott's high-rise apartment for a few days to see King Philip's coronation because the apartment has a perfect view of the place where the parade will be held. King Philip gets sick and the coronation is canceled. Although Kevin could still rent the apartment for the specified time, he will be excused from doing so because there's no point for him to rent it out anymore. There's no parade anymore because the king got sick, which was an unforeseeable event at the time of contracting. Next, we have impracticability of performance. But before we discuss that, it's important to understand the supervening difficulties rule. So, the supervening difficulties rule is an exception to the pre-existing duty rule. For example, a homeowner and a general contractor form a contract for the contractor to make a swimming pool for the homeowner by a certain date. When the contractor starts digging, there is bedrock under the area that will require special equipment to break up and dig out. The contractor tells this to the homeowner, asking for more money to rent the equipment and finish the pool on time. The homeowner agrees to the extra funds. The supervening difficulties rule says that the extra money promised by the homeowner will become part of the contract, even though the contractor already had a duty to remove the bedrock and have the pool ready on time. That's because the supervening difficulties rule is usually discussed in the context of contract modification. Now put yourself in the contractor's shoes. If you suddenly found this bedrock was going to cut a large chunk of your profit, you would want that promise of extra funding by the homeowner to be part of the contract because otherwise you'd be doing it for hardly any profit or maybe even no profit. And that doesn't really seem fair to you, does it? So now let's talk about impracticability of performance. Performance becomes commercially impracticable because of extreme and unreasonable difficulty or expense. Remember, this is extreme. So it's a higher level of difficulty than that of the supervening difficulties rule, which we just talked about. Just the fact that there's a loss is not enough for impracticability of performance. So there's three elements we need to talk about. And practicability cannot be because of the promiser. So there's no fault on part of the promiser. Second, non-occurrence of the event 
was a basic assumption of the contract. And third, the promisor did not assume the risk of the event occurring and there's no basis for allocating the risk to him. So an impracticability of performance example is the Panama Canal closes and the shipping company has to go all the way around South America to deliver the goods. That is an extreme level of difficulty and it wouldn't be fair to allocate the risk to him because the shipper did not assume the risk of the event occurring. Lastly, we have impossibility of performance. So performance becomes impossible with supervening illegality, death or physical incapacity, or destruction of subject matter or means of performance. So with physical incapacity, that's only for personal service contracts. If the contract is not one that a specific person must perform, then performance is not excused. For example, Kate hires a moving company to come and move her stuff to her new house. The moving truck driver dies and no one shows up on moving day. The moving company is in breach because they could have had another person drive the truck. Now contrast this with another example. Richard loves Roy Lichtenstein's work and contracts with Roy for a custom piece. Roy does half of the painting, then suddenly dies of pneumonia. Performance will be excused because Richard only wanted Roy to create the artwork. Now with destruction of subject matter or means of performance, that's essentially, for example, if the car blows up, then you can't deliver it anymore. Also note that temporary impossibility suspends a duty to perform. Now with impossibility of performance, we have to discuss a key component, which is identification. An item is identified when a promisee picks out exactly which good they want. They're saying, I want this one. When an item is identified to be sold, destruction excuses performance. When it's not identified, then performance is not excused. Here's an example the dean used in my class last year. Billy walks into Best Buy and sees an iMac on display that is discounted because it has a chip in it. Billy tells the employee that he wants the iMac on display. Before Best Buy can deliver the iMac, the store burns down. Best Buy will be excused from performance because Billy identified the particular item or iMac that he wanted, which is now destroyed. Also note that where goods are destroyed after the buyer assumes the risk of loss, the buyer still has to pay for the goods. Another frequently tested area in impossibility of performance is building contracts. When a structure is destroyed shortly before performance is due, the contractor must rebuild. Timely performance will be excused, though. So you might ask, can the builder get restitution? He still performed and did a lot of work. The answer is no. The building is now destroyed, so there's no benefit conferred on the other party. There's no building. So there's no unjust enrichment of pure work because there's no building. The contractor will have to build the building again of his own expense. Because this sucks, contractors outside of these practice questions and in real life will put a provision in the contract to avoid this seemingly unfair scenario. All right, quick run through of everything we've discussed. Excusing performance has three important doctrines. 
frustration of purpose, impracticability of performance, and impossibility of performance. Now, if we're excusing a performance, that means that there was a valid contract, but due to unforeseeable events, we can no longer perform it. With frustration of purpose and impracticability of performance, we discussed the elements and gave examples. With impossibility of performance, performance becomes impossible with supervening illegality, death or physical incapacity, or destruction of subject matter or means of performance. We also discussed identification, which is extremely important for impossibility of performance, and we discussed building contracts. I'm the Contract Tutor, and thank you for listening to Basic Contract Law for Students.